you for listening. Thank you for listening. To the Outstanding Ohioans. Outstanding Ohioans. To the Outstanding Ohioans. To the Outstanding Ohioans. Podcast. Podcast. Hosted by my daddy. Hosted by my daddy. Hello, thank you for tuning in to the Outstanding Ohioans show. My name is Ron Silico. This is episode 14. Today I have the pleasure of interviewing Larry Huggins, who is the owner and operator of the Eastern Ohio Sports Complex. Larry, thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Okay. You may, for those of you in the audience who are familiar with Basketball, the Huggins name is synonymous with excellence in the state of Ohio at the high school and college level as players, coaches at several different levels. So, Larry, could you give us some background on your journey starting with your childhood? Well, sure. My father was a um, high school teacher and and basketball coach. Um, He coached all three of his sons. Um, I was the last one. And... um, Start, well, we, we we moved to a couple schools, but I, I spent my career in a, in a school called Inland Valley South, um, where uh, Dad did, Dad set a record of something ridiculous, like eighty four percent of the of wins or whatever it was at that point in time. Um, graduated from there, went on to uh, the Ohio State University, uh, where I played uh, four years there, uh, captain my last two years, and um, then left that. Uh, left basketball actually for a while and my father who had started a basketball camp was getting up in age and uh, my sisters convinced me that I needed to take that over uh, so uh, negotiated out a, a buyout for my father and have ran that now for the last uh, 15 years great great uh, you know what I want to talk a lot a lot about Larry is uh, your the background and in in in, in in your life growing up because it I'm sure that it's impacted the the person that you are today Uh, what were the core values you learned growing up in a household of seven siblings two two parents and and, so what were some of those core values and who modeled those for you well my mother and father actually um, set the tone for everything that we did Um, a Christian family uh, I was at church on, on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday, uh, Wednesday evenings pretty much my entire life. Um, I was taught by my father to work very hard. was taught by my mother to be compassionate um, in everything that we did. Uh, one of the things that my father always always strived for was being humble and, and um, with the success that he had, obviously, in the basketball realm. Uh, he, he always maintained that that was good but it wasn't why we were here and um basically taught the family the the value that uh you have a responsibility to um your god first um your country second and your family is third and that you should do always do whatever you can uh, basically just just to help other folks um in their endeavors in life okay now, in the in the birth order of seven siblings, where were you? I am the youngest son, and I am the uh, fifth child. I have two younger sisters. Okay, okay. So, what what was the difference in in age ranges in terms of the oldest, Bob, to to the youngest? Uh, 
son Bobby is just, I think he believe he just turned 60. Um, and then it basically was a two-year span. My mother had children about every two years. Okay. Uh, with the exception of my youngest sister, Karen, who I think is about four years behind um, my uh, next to the youngest sibling, I guess, and, and Judy. Okay. Uh, uh, to build on the the modeling that your parents did for you, in, in your brother's autobiography, he talked a lot about your dad's work ethic, but also spent spending a lot of time in his job developing the, the people in his school and in his program, and talked about your your mother really being at home and, and raising the family. Could, could you speak to that experience in a little more detail? No, absolutely. Um, my father started, um, when he got some success, he, he was convinced by some folks in the, in, the, in the area that he should start a basketball camp. So that was started in 1969 uh, when I was nine years old. And basically we built a camp from from scratch up. I mean, we built the buildings, we, we, we put the hoops up. Um, obviously we didn't do the paving of the courts, but um, so we spent pretty much every summer that we had beginning in the spring. Uh, my father also coached track and anything my father coached you had to do. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of options in that. So as soon as track practice was over, we would head out there and begin mowing or fixing whatever we had to fix. So, um, Unlike, I guess, a lot of families, we didn't have summers off. We we spent the entire time working. We used to run eight eight camps a, a summer. They ran from Sunday morning until Saturday afternoon, and then you cleaned up, mowed the grass, and got ready for the next group to come in. Um, my mother also set the example because my mother cooked for every single child that came through there. Um, and when the camp started to grow, I mean, she literally would sleep in the car right outside the kitchen. Uh, she would close down the concession stand about 11 o'clock, and then she would get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and start preparing uh, from scratch the food uh, for the camps. Um, but my father, who was dedicated to his work, I mean, he was, you know, like I said, he was a school teacher, and he took that very seriously. And most of all, he was a basketball. He loved working with young men. Um, in, in, in basketball, and that never seemed to end. I mean, I can remember when Bobby was graduating, um, coaches coming in to recruit him, and it was inevitable that they would end up at our dinner table uh, that evening because he would just invite them over and, and sit and talk to them uh, about anything. My mother prepared three three dinners a night uh, because my sisters were also involved in sports, so. Uh, they would do their they would do their thing and come home, and then my father would have practice right after school. And then when we were younger, obviously we were in junior high, so when we got home from that, we would we would actually be be the third meal of the night for her. Um, my mother was the glue. Uh, my father was a, a, a heavy disciplinarian. Um, he took no excuses for anything, and my mother was the. Um, loving side of the family, if you would. I mean, she literally raised seven children all by herself because my father just wasn't there. He was doing what he should have done, which was out going out and trying to provide for a family on, on a school teacher's salary. So he did a lot of different things, insurance, tried insurance for a while, tried house, paint, house painting for a while, and eventually settled in on, on, on running his own business at the camp. So during all that time, my mother basically raised seven children on her own. Great. As you got older, Larry, and you became more aware of 
that that's a, in a lot of ways, that's not a common experience for children, especially today, to have that kind of structured, loving, caring environment. Has your appreciation of, of that grown more through time? Um, absolutely. I mean, my mother passed away here uh, a few years back from cancer, um, and obviously we miss her dearly. But, um, again, the, what, what was instilled in us as, as, as young kids was that you're clear for a reason. The reason wasn't basketball. The reason was to try and do the things that you could do to make life better for, for yourself, for your family, and for other folks. Um, so my mother, excuse me, my mother was um, very instrumental, and she never knew a stranger. Um, everybody was welcome. Uh, stay as long as you like, and that's just kind of the way that we grew up. Great, great. Uh, I've got so many questions to, to ask about your dad, but I'll, I'll try and narrow it to a couple. Uh, what do you think were some of the keys to his success being at fairly small schools, developing sustainable programs to have that year-in and year-out success? Well, my father was one of the first ones that understood, I think, that you built programs from the bottom up. My father wasn't just involved at a, at a varsity level. My father was involved from the second and third grade uh, through bitty ball programs. There wasn't uh, a Saturday morning that he missed, um, and he would put that together. He would have his players uh, coach those teams so that they got in, indoctrinated into the system that my father wanted to uh, wanted to run. Um, there were, quite honestly, a lot of good athletes that, that were in our schools that never came out for basketball hmm. because the discipline that my father instilled was that you're here, there's no excuses. If you don't feel bad, or if you don't feel well too bad, that this is your family. This is this is the people that are relying on you to, to go through and support them. Um, he was very tough on them. Uh, I've, I've read articles that some of his former players have written and printed in the newspapers basically thanking him, but it was so tough at times that my father grew the team grew together because of their hate for him, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, our practices were three hours to three hours and 15 minutes every single night. We hated Christmas break uh, because Christmas break was 8 o'clock till noon to 1 o'clock every single day uh, while we were on break, and there was, there was no exceptions. Um, if he didn't think we were getting it done in the three hours in the evening, then we would go and, and be in there at 6 o'clock in the morning, and we'd practice an hour before school and then go in and do what we had to do in the evenings. I mean, it was an extremely disciplined uh, environment that we were going to do it, and we were going to do it right. And my father surrounded himself with his coaching staff from the junior high level up with folks who believed in what he was doing, uh, he, they taught the system at that level. There wasn't anybody there that did their own thing. I mean, it was what he wanted done. Um, and they taught that from the time we started playing, which obviously by the time you got to the varsity level, you pretty much knew the system. Um, my father learned an awful lot from a uh, gentleman by the name of Ed McCluskey, who was from Farrell, Pennsylvania, uh, just over on the other side of Youngstown. Um, Coach McCluskey just just to give you a background, Coach McCluskey in Pennsylvania, you can play up in division, but you can't play down. He was uh, in the lower division and played up and won seven state titles uh, playing up. He's the only coach uh, in high school that beat Will Chamberlain 
uh, in what was going through school. So mm-hmm. Coach McCluskey really knew what, he, knew what he was doing, and I can remember my father after practices of things weren't going the way he wanted them to go, getting in a car and driving to Youngstown that night or, or to Farrell, Pennsylvania that night, sitting with Coach McCluskey until the wee hours of the morning and then driving back home and, and, and doing the same thing the next day. So his success came from the fact that, that he had a system that he believed in, and that system was taught to us from the time we started playing basketball until the time that we left. So in the course of a three three hour practice or more, what was the structure that your your dad set up for practice in terms of skill development and then team drills and and, and scrimmaging? How how did he set that up? Well, at the beginning of the year and, and, and actually carried on throughout the year, we had a thing that he called the ritual. The ritual was forty five minutes uh, in length, and it involved uh, strengthening of your body. Um, it was involved with one-on-one, two-on-two, three-play. Uh, it was ball-handling drills. It was defensive drills, and we did that every single day. Uh, and like I said, that was 45 minutes of our practice. And then um, what my father did was my father started at the beginning of the year with very basic um, fundamentals. I mean, he, he taught one-on-one, and once he figured we had that, then we would move to two-on-two. And when he figured we had that, we would go to three-on-three. And typically speaking, it wasn't until towards the end of the year tournament time that we actually were putting in everything that we were going to do um, in a five-on-five structure. So everything was broken down to the nth degree, uh, to the point of when you set a screen, this is the way your feet are supposed to point. to defensive stances, to outside, all those things were, were done individually pretty much every single day in practice um, and started out at the you know at the very elementary level, which was the one-on-one type stuff and moving into more of a, a team offense and defense. So when your team got to games, uh, from the things I've read and the things you just said, uh, it sounds like the games – in some way were a relief, but also an opportunity, an opportunity to show how prepared you were as a team. Is, is that how it went? Yeah, game, games were actually fun because we only had to do those for about an hour <laughs> um, instead of the three, three hours every day. Um, and it, it was a break. I mean, it, it literally was, it was a break. And we were so well prepared. My father did an awful lot of scouting. Um, I can, I can remember when he was trying to mold young coaches that he would send them out to scout and they would come back and he would look at the scouting report and say, that's not right, go look again. Hmm. Um, down to the nth degree, I mean, which way a cutter came off of a, of a back screen, for instance, uh, which in this instance is actually what he was talking about because he was showing him coming off the backside of it when in reality he typically was coming front side of the screen and specifically remember three different times and sending them back and saying that's not the way they run it hmm. which bowed the question why are we scouting if you already know but <laughs> he he wanted the people to he wanted the people that he around him to understand the game as much as he did and how important those things was so when we went into a game there wasn't too much that we didn't already know that you were going to do and we tried to take your strengths away from you um and was very successful in doing that. Okay. How did your dad feel about the the growth and explosion of AAU basketball and and also the the, the state association 
lessening the ability of, of coaches to work with players during the offseason? Well, there wasn't a whole lot of AAU going on back when my father coached. Um, that was something that was just coming into play. Um, we played all summer. We did three-on-three uh, as teams, and he got together with other high schools in the area and put together a three-on-three league. So we never really experienced the AAU um, because we were – and he wanted us under his supervision for the entire summer. So we did three-on-three, three, and then, of course, we went to his camps. Um, we didn't have a choice. We were in them every week. But uh, the other players on the team were there for at least one of the sessions and in some cases even taught those sessions um, because they knew what he wanted them to teach. So the AAU wasn't a real big thing. Um, I've heard him talk about how it has been a demise. Um, Mm-hmm. Simply because you have kids that just change schools and I like the wind. Mm-hmm. You know, back back when we played, you couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. When we played, you you had school pride, and this was who you were. We were part of the Inner Valley South Rebels, and we were proud to be part of the Inner Valley South Rebels, as as well as the other schools in the area. We're, we're proud to be Strasburg Tigers, and you never thought about going to a different school simply to play with somebody that you met in the summer on an AAU team. I mean, it just wasn't something that we did. Um, he unfortunately, or fortunately, whichever way you want to look at it, thinks that the Ohio High School Athletic Association was part of the reason that AAU became so big because they limited the ability of coaches to work with their players during the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, to him, it was an 80-20 rule. There were 20% of the coaches out there that really wanted to, to develop young men and make them the best that they could possibly be as a sport. And there were the 80% that really wanted the summers to themselves and didn't want to do that and said, you know, we don't, we don't think it's fair that, you know, they're allowed, they work with their kids in the summer. And he really feels that that was a demise mm-hmm. uh, to high school basketball and why AU became so popular. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're you're fifth in the family. You, you've got a dad that's heavily involved with sports. You're, all your siblings are involved with it. Well, as you began playing sports, what were what were some of the dreams you had coming through? Well, from the time I was young, I always wanted to try and be a you know in the NBA. I wanted to try and be a professional player. Um, I had the advantage of, of having two older brothers who were quite good at what they did. Um, I. I had the advantage of during the summers. I, I can remember clearly when Bobby would bring uh, players home from West Virginia and they would come over and I had the opportunity to play against college people uh, at a very young age. Uh, my brother Harry was was uh, also that way and that, that his teammates would show up. And every Tuesday and Thursday night during the summer, if you could play uh, from the three-county area, you basically showed up at, at, at the camp and we chose up size and we played. Um, obviously, when I was younger, I was the last. I, I was the one who sat on the sidelines and just kind of waited around until somebody would finally leave, and they would only have nine guys that actually get a chance to play. Um, as that, as I got older, obviously, as I got to be a sophomore, junior, senior, um, that's when you know Bobby was was either coaching or playing at, 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 in college. My other older brother was playing, or Harry, our middle brother, was playing in college, and. So that's when those guys started to come in. So I was playing against college-level competition uh, pretty much on a weekly basis, which really helped me to grow as a player. 
Okay. Something that growing up and in, in living in Ohio my entire life, most Ohio kids, when they're growing up, if they're involved in sports, they dream about playing at Ohio State. What was that experience like for you? Well, playing, playing at the Ohio State University uh, was a real blessing. I actually wasn't going to go there. I was really leaning towards going to West Virginia. Uh, Pitt was heavenly recruiting me at that time, and I had known uh, Coach Gerrich since I was in the fourth grade. Um, so those two schools were actually top on my list. And Bobby, who was a graduate assistant at the time uh, under Coach Miller, uh, basically just showed up at the house one day and said, um, are you planning on living in Ohio? And I said, when everything's said and done, yeah, I probably will stay here. And he said, then you need to come to the to, to Ohio State University um, because the the contacts that you're going to meet and the notoriety that you'll get by being a player here will help you in your business life afterwards. Um, and I listened to him because I, I had a great respect for him. Uh, once once I got there and, and got involved. Um, it was, I mean, let's be honest, Ohio, Ohio State is the, is the state college. I mean, it's mm-hmm. from Cleveland to Cincinnati um, to Steubenville to, to, to damn word Ohio. Ohio State is followed because it is the state school. So um, being able to, to play on that kind of a level um, and be where everybody kind of knows you was just – um, a fantastic experience for us. Okay. What when you when you got to Ohio State? How how did you feel that your high school career and in the in being involved with the camp and, and players coming in? How did that prepare you for for that adjustment? Um, well, like I said, I I don't say this in a braggadocious kind of way because I don't mean it that way, but I had been playing against college-level people since I was a sophomore in, in, in high school. Um, so I, I knew the skill level, the athleticism uh, that we were going that I was going to see whenever I got here. Um, so I was pretty well adjusted to that type of, of player. Um, the biggest difference was, obviously, in high school, the um, on most teams, there's one or two kids that, that are really good. Um, when you got when we got to Ohio State, everybody that was there was really good. Um, my freshman class was Clark Kellogg, Granville Waiters, Nate Sims, Mitch Haas, um, and myself. Uh, of course, Kellen Ramsey was there, who, quite honestly, is one of the best players I've ever faced, and I got to do that every single day in practice. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you had Carter Scott, and you had Herb Williams, and you had Jimmy Smith and um, Tony Campbell, who went on to play professionally. I mean, it was uh, it was a, a, a great era um, and a lot of unbelievable talent uh, that we had at Ohio State. And to make the adjustments, you just had to understand that there wasn't, you know, in high school I didn't guard the best players because I didn't want to get in foul trouble, where when I came there, that was really what Coach Miller wanted me to do. Um, was, you know, play defense um, and kind of run the show, which I had a great background on because my father taught us the game from, like I said, the ground up. So uh, for me, understanding what other teams were trying to do for us was a benefit for me 
and gave me playing time because I recognized things on the floor, uh, whereas maybe some other folks didn't. And Coach Miller put me into that type of a leadership role. Okay. So, so you're going through Ohio State as a student athlete. You graduate. Well, from from the time you graduated till when you took over the the Eastern Ohio Sports Complex, what what did you do professionally? Um, well, I went back actually and worked the first summer for my father um, at the camps, and then I got into sales. Um, and basically I had been in sales up until about seven years ago when I started my own company in the printing industry um, and have been in, I've sold print of all types uh, for 30 years and just decided if you had an opportunity uh, along with actually one of my former teammates, Ronnie Stokes, um, to create a business uh, and basically ventured out onto my own and started my own company. And we've just kind of grown that since 2007 um, into a viable print business. Uh, I had purchased the camp at about the same time that I I began that business on my own. So uh, there was a lot of sleepless nights wondering how we were going to pay bills. Uh, anybody who started a new company understands that, that you're the last one to get paid. Um, so there were some sleepless nights on that, but um, we persevered, we worked through it. Um, you know, we put in the 14, 16 hour days, uh, which really wasn't anything new because we had done that since the time we were little, again, because of what our, our, our parents instilled into us. Um, and we worked through it and, you know, today it's a, it's a viable business and so is is the camps. I remember when I purchased the, the, the camp from my father he said what's your goal and i said i said my goal is to get this thing to as, as many kids as we possibly can i mean i want to i want to expand the camp um which we've been able to do we we get an awful lot of high school coaches that that come in over the summer um who we talk to every single year and figure out what we need to do differently to make it better um which is one of the things we've always strived for is to become the best opportunity for young men to grow not only their basketball skills but their their human skills um and we've concentrated on that since uh well since the camp was founded and then it's uh we've i continued that through by just talking to coaches and, and figuring out what they want okay uh, on this show we've we've interviewed several people that are entrepreneurs running their own businesses what if you had to point out three factors that have been crucial to your success, what would they be? Well, first and foremost is having a good basis and um, understanding why you're here. Um, understanding that that uh, your customers come first and it doesn't matter if they call you at 11 o'clock at night or they call you at 6 o'clock in the morning, you, you should be there to answer the bell. Um, Secondly, is just the fact that you have to understand you have to work. Um, businesses don't develop themselves. You you have to put the time in and the effort in, um, and that you're going to have uh, a lot of days that, that, that go on beyond an eight-hour day. Uh, as a matter of fact, pretty much every day is going to go on past an eight-hour day. And then lastly, and, and foremost is, is the, the capital. I mean, you've, you've got to understand that cash is, cash flow is, is king in those type of businesses, so you spend a lot of time um, making sure that what 
you're doing is um, is, is worthwhile, that it's needed, um, and you spend a lot of time, you know, trying to make sure that you get paid for, for what you're providing. Okay. So in 2000, you, you, you buy out your father and you take over the camp. First question I had was, how has the camp changed fundamentally from the time that you bought it to what it is today? Um, well, when I, when I bought the camp, it was strictly a basketball camp. Um, we, uh, man, while we grew it, I guess is the way, is the best way to say that. When, when I took it over, my father was running about 1,100 kids a summer, um, through, um, a lot of that back then was fundamental type camps. Uh, that was changing when I bought it from him. Uh, it was becoming more of a team camp because the Ohio High School Athletic Association um, had opened up where uh, coaches had 10 days to work with their teams during the summer. And so in talking with the coaches, what they really wanted to do is they wanted to come in and bring their teams in and play against other teams and work on the things that, you know, that they do in their systems. So that changed dramatically. We went away from teaching a lot of fundamental type work into um, more oriented into team camps. Um, we have a direct, we, we set up and expanded. My father always had directors who were coaches. We just simply expanded that out and spent a lot of time, quite honestly, just talking with them and what they wanted to do. We improved the facilities. We built new buildings. We added courts. Um, and as time went on, um, we added uh, four other sports. Uh, we added uh, 10 football fields, uh, soccer fields, lacrosse fields, uh, bought land and, and, and put in and put those in and have been working in the last three years to try and get that business or that, that side of the sports to grow. Um, we, we bring in bands uh, that come in and use our facilities. Before school starts, they come in and get away for a little bit and, and work on you know, the playing of the instruments and the routines that they're going to perform at halftimes of football games and or what they're going to do during the basketball season. So we, we've had bands come in. Uh, we we because again of, of my mother and father we we always are trying to do things that help so um, we we tried to do well we tried it didn't it wasn't real successful but it was successful enough that we did a, a hunting and fishing expo out there two years ago and were able to donate thirty thousand dollars to the Norma Huggins Foundation which is over um, West Virginia University for and it's an endowment for cancer research. Hmm. Um, my brother and I started that when my mother passed away. He called me on the phone one night and said, we need to do something. And I said, I'll do whatever I can. Um, and Bobby started donating all of his speaking fees and that sort of thing to, um, to that endowment. And I didn't take the money. He actually just put it into that because, again, that's the way we were brought up. What can you do to help? Uh, so we did that. We donated $30,000. Um, one of the... One of my partners in my other business has a hearing uh, loss, and he came to me and said, I would really like to do this. Uh, it's called Sports for Sound, and it's like a 
triathlete type uh, thing that he did last summer, and he raised, uh, donated back seven um, hearing aids for underprivileged children in the Tuscarawas and Carroll County areas. Um, and that's something he'll, that he's going to do again next year. Um, we're looking at doing uh, a, a retreat with Bobby, who loves to fish, and we're going to try and do a retreat, bring in some people, have them donate money to come in next summer, uh, fish the local lakes, and, and give that money back to through EO Sports uh, Hunting and Fishing Expo, uh, which is a nonprofit, give that money again to uh, the Norm Mayhawkins Foundation for Cancer. Um, so those are the things that we've tried to do. We try to get involved with, with the community. Um, you know, the, the, I don't want to, it's, it's underprivileged families who, who don't have um, Christmases or who, who have had bad experiences, and we try and do whatever we can in those areas, you know, donating the food left over at the end of the summer to food banks in the area. Um, just just things like that is, is what we've basically grown into, and we try and give as much as we can um, to the local community, um, some of the local high schools who are smaller that don't have the opportunity, uh, don't have the gym space to, to grow their programs. Um, we, we allow them to come in during the, during the winter months and, and, and practice at our facilities. So just things like that, um, all and a vision just to try and grow it bigger. Um, and hopefully we'll get involved in the other sports and actually be able to touch more and more people as, as we go through. I mean, there has been thousands of kids. It amazes me when people come into camp and they're bringing their sons and, or, or it's a grandfather who's bringing their grandchild saying, I remember I was here back in 1972 when your father was just starting this. Um, it just, it's, it's amazing the number of people who have ran through that facility over the past, what, 40 some years is, is just mind boggling. That's great. That's great. Something I wanted to ask you to, to kind of build on what you just talked about. You, you mentioned that there's an emphasis on, on the sports piece to it for, for people that visit the, the, the camp. From a human skills perspective that you mentioned, what are what are things that you do to try and develop that side of it for the person? Well, one of the things that we that we have done since Dad started the camp is we bring in a non-denominational speaker, um, which sometimes is uh, is not what parents want, but it's what we do for the most part. Most parents understand uh, what we're trying to do, but we've brought in speakers for years. And we, actually, we brought in Clark. Clark's came in a few times. Clark Kellogg has came in a few times and talked about basketball and what basketball has meant to him. But he's also spent time, and the majority of the time, is talking about life. Trying to make people or kids understand that basketball is a sport, and it's a great sport, and it's going to teach you an awful lot about uh, getting along with others and sacrificing for a team and not not being an individual but being a part of something um but we have always believed and and will always believe and we don't apologize for it that god comes first and he always has so we spend that time and and again i can't tell you the number of people who have came in and said you know i met my savior at this camp um 
which you know is something that that you you can't pay for. That's not something that that is that you can buy. That's something that you know means more than anything does. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the kind of stuff that we do. We spend time talking with the kids when they come in. We spend time talking with the, to the coaches. Um, and our, and our directors, and they all understand that basketball is a game, but life is life. And we try to instill upon young people that it's not it's, it's, it's not anybody else's fault, and it's not anybody else's life, it's yours. Uh, and in a society that has become, in my opinion, more and more it's, it's okay to do or to not do, um, you know, the, the fact that everybody gets a trophy. Mm-hmm. For participation, well, you can participate in life, but if you really want to be something great in life, then you have to understand that, that, that there's a sacrifice that has to be made for that, that you have to put in the time. Um, yeah. I, I, always, I always tell kids when I talk to them, I don't care what you want to be. You don't have to want to be a great basketball player. You don't have to want to be a great football player. But if you if you want to be the best tuba player in the band, or you want to be the best carpenter, or you want to be the best, or or, or be a plumber, so why not be the best? Mm-hmm. Why why not set your goals to not just go through life as average, but to go through your life and be the best at whatever it is that you want to do? And again, it's not just about sports; it's about life in general. If you want to be a pastor, then be the best pastor. If you, if, you, if you want to, like I said, if you want to play tuba in the band, then be the best tuba player. Put forth the effort to, to, that it takes to make you the best, to to contribute back to society as much as you possibly can, to, can contribute back. Because for me, living in a country that we live in, which by far is the greatest country in the world, you have the opportunity. There's nobody putting a limit on you. It's not anybody else's fault if you don't succeed. It's yours. You have the opportunity. You have the basis living in the greatest country in the world to do and to be whatever it is that you want to be. And you should take that opportunity. And you should strive to be the best. It doesn't mean you're going to be. And there's nothing wrong with not being that. But if every single day you're getting up and your goal is to improve yourself in whatever area of life that you've chosen to pursue, if your goal every morning is to do something more, to make yourself better at what you do, then you're living a very successful and fulfilled life. And that's what we try to instill for folks who come through. To that point, Larry, because I had a, I had a question that I was going to ask about that. What do you do personally to push yourself to be the best you can be? What, what do you have some daily rituals or, or, or thoughts, whether it's reading books, exercising that, that you do to, in that regard? Um, well, I had kind of let the physical side of things lapse here up until about two years ago. Um, when I quit playing, I was pretty much physically exhausted at the time. I had a really, really bad back when I left Ohio State. Um, and I didn't do a whole lot in that, in that area. And, um, but about two years ago, I decided that I was going to get back into shape, which again, is part of it. And it's nothing more than a decision. You know, when you get up in the morning, you have to make yourself go do that hour on the treadmill or whatever it is that you choose to do uh, physically. Mentally, I just, I, I guess when I get up in the morning, I, I the first thing I do is just be thankful that I have another day to live. 
um, that I have a day to to spend time with my family, to see my to see my children, uh, to spend time with my wife, um, which is all part of it. Uh, on the business side of things, we're constantly trying to improve everything that we do. Um, my wife sometimes isn't real happy with me, but I, I spend a lot of weekends out of camp just making things better, fixing things, um, spend a lot of time talking to coaches, trying to figure out what, what makes things better, how do you do that. Um, my goal each and every single day that I get up is to, A, make sure that the customers that we service in, in our printing business are 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 happy and, and, and we are meeting or exceeding their expectations and what they ex- and what they want. That's my number one goal and we instill that down through everybody in, in, in our company. You're not here just doing your job. That's not what you're doing. You're here to provide service for somebody else and we want to be the very best at what we do. And again, we're not always. I mean, everybody has downfalls, but we try and figure out why it happened and then make it better. And, and go on from that point. And I spend a lot of time speaking with my managers and, and, and our employees. And we're not a big company. We employ six, seven, eight, nine, ten people. But we talk to those people every single day about what it is that we're trying to accomplish. Um, and I do that every single day. I mean, I, I, I spend a lot of time on the road. And, and most of my thought time when I'm on the road is what do we do to make things better? Um, I don't personally don't take we, we've grown camp to a, to a, a point where it, it, it has become one of the largest camps in the state and we're happy with that but we don't take the credit for that because quite honestly we have a group of directors who are coaches that are dedicated to the game of basketball uh, dedicated to to making kids better all in all areas of their life and we we spend I spend time on the phone with coaches every single day. Uh, just talking with them about what we can do to make things better. Um, and those coaches have, have really been the heart and soul of, of Eastern Ohio. From the time that, that, I, that I purchased it from my father, I, the first thing I did was I called all the directors together and, and had a meeting with them. And they have spread our word about what it is that we do, um, why we do it, and they have recruited other schools um, in their areas and across the state. I, it's just, um, it's amazing to me to see the dedication that those people have, that those coaches have, have had for not only their players and their schools, but also for what we're trying to accomplish at Eastern Ohio. And we don't take the credit for that. That's that's an awful lot of coaches um, doing an awful lot of good things to help us grow to where we are. Um, what we do is spend our time talking with them, trying to figure out how we can get more uh, teams to participate. Um, what do we need to do differently? What improvements do we have to make? Um, and they are very open and honest with us, and, and we try to implement uh, as much of that as we can as soon as we possibly can do it. And we spend every single day doing that. Great. So we've talked about so many good things the personal development piece which was i'm very thankful that you that you shared so many your beliefs on that how have you seen the best coaches develop that base of fundamentals and toughness with with people that they're coaching and serving what what are the traits and what are the the approaches that you have seen be really successful well again 
and I think it, I think that in most instances it starts at a very young age. Um, Bobby Von Kennel has been uh, over at Dover has been with um, our camp since pretty much its inception as a player, and then as he moved on to become an extremely successful coach. Um, Norm, uh, Norm Parsons, uh, who's down at Oak Hill now, was one of those, has also been with us for years and years and years. Greg Nossman, um, David and Chris Sheldon, um, and, and, and I'm, I'm being remiss by not mentioning all of our coaches, but typically speaking, it always starts at a young age. Um, they have a system, and it's a system that they believe in. Uh, and they instill that to their young kids. Our junior high programs has grown immensely um, since we've taken over. I think when we started our, our, our girls program, for example, on the junior high and high school level, my father my father had started it. The first year that I did junior high girls, we had four schools there. Um, but we started talking to you know the girls directors that we have. And now we'll get 25 to 30 schools in for the junior high programs, um, which is starting at a, at a very young age. And 99% and, and of the time, it's the head varsity coach who's with those kids. Uh, and they're instilling their system that they want to see taught from the ground level. And that is probably the biggest key uh, in, in building a, a program is you – you started at a very young level. And then secondly, and what I don't think a lot of people understand is the time uh, that coaches put in. I mean, they, they, they run their practices, and typically if they're not playing, they're scouting. And if they're not scouting, then they're watching college games on TV trying to pick up different sets or pick up different philosophies or different ideas. I mean, I was at the OHSAA. Uh, stop down just to see some of our directors and some of the coaches who come to camp this year. And, and there's 800 and some, and I might be wrong on the number because I really don't know what it is. But, you know, th there's an auditorium that's full of coaches trying to get better. Um, a lot of those are part of, 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 of the camp um, who are trying to do that. And coaches spend an, an enormous, an enormous amount of time. I know my dad sat down and figured it out once and figured he made about a quarter of uh, an hour <laughs> for the time that he spent in developing his program. And he's not any different than any other successful coach. They all do that. Mm -hmm. They spend absorbent amounts of time um, learning and, and teaching. Um, so the key is, is, is putting your system in, in my opinion, and putting your system in at a young level. Um, and then just, again, getting up every morning and trying to figure out, you know, how do I get better? I mean, I can tell you a story. I talked to Bobby this summer, and we, we, we were going to try and get together to just to see each other's family. And twice he called and said, uh, I've got to cancel because I've got to, I'm going up here to this uh, coach's symposium because I've got to, I've got to learn more. I've got to, I've got to change you know, what we're doing, because I haven't had the success that I want at West Virginia University in the last couple of years. So it doesn't, and there's a guy with 740-some wins at the college level uh, who, who still is looking for ways to improve themselves. And it, it's a key in, in any area of life. It's not just basketball. It, it's any area of life that 
guys are constantly trying to improve. And if you ever get to a point in life where you actually think that you've made it, then you, there's only one thing to do, and that's decline. So these coaches are constantly striving to, to do better um, and, 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 and make their teams better, make their kids better by learning and, and teaching what what it is in their, their philosophies on what they want to do. Great, great. Uh, one thing I, I wanted to ask you, I'm, I'm involved in university recreation at Miami University. So some people in the audience may not even care about this question, but I care about it a lot. What what do you have to do from a risk management standpoint to operate your facility? Well, um, obviously in any business that you get involved in, um, we set up a, a, a policies procedures of what we expect from people who are coming in. Um, we, we have a trainer on staff at, at all times. Uh, we have insur- insurances that, that cover um, should something catastrophic happen uh, that we that we have to implement every every single year. Uh, we we sit with the coaches in the beginning uh, of each session uh, and talk about the do's and don'ts. Um, we talk with the kids about the do's and don'ts, uh, the things that you have to do. So, I mean, anytime you're involved in a business, there's always a risk that something's going to go wrong. Um, and we have it. Uh, we had a, a player last year who went up for a lap and came down and, and, and broke his foot. Um, didn't land on anybody, just landed wrong and broke his foot. And obviously that's something that um, you could get sued for. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't. Uh, you know, I knew the parents had talked to the parents. Um, and they understood that in basketball things happen. But in, in any time you're anywhere, there's a possibility that, you know, somebody won't like what you're doing and or something can happen, and you can be liable for that. So you, you have to take every precaution that you possibly can, obviously, uh, through insurances, through teaching, uh, through um, monitoring games and, and stepping out when something isn't going the way it's supposed to go. Uh, and, and correcting it on the spot. So there's a lot of different things that go into that. Um, and again, we have great coaches, and most of them have been with us for a long time and understand that, you know, how we do things and, and the way we want it done. And they help with that. And we've been very, very blessed that we've never had um, a lawsuit as far as risk management goes. But we, we send out every applicant that comes in. Um, receives back a, a, a policies and procedures manual as to what we expect from them when they get there. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's what we do on our end. Yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, you mentioned, you talked about how growing up your family was heavily involved in, in the camp operation. Is, does your family today, your wife and children, do they help with, with the camp today? Not as much. When we first started, my, my, my wife took over the cooking role from my mother. Um, so she was she was learning how to cook for five, six, seven hundred kids um, per session. And um, as time has went on, she's she has um, developed and hired uh, folks that um, she doesn't have to be there all the time. Uh, quite honestly, in growing up in that environment where every single uh, day of the summer 
that I had free was spent at camp. I really didn't want my children doing that. Mm -hmm. I wanted them to have the ability to come out if they wanted to come out, but I also wanted them to have the ability to stay at home because the camp is two hours from home. I actually live in Columbus, Sunbury area, okay. and camp is in the you know the Dover, New Philadelphia area, which is two hours and 15 minutes from here. Mm -hmm. um, and I felt like when I was growing up that I missed some of the, the, the relationships that you build with people because you saw them during the school year, but you never saw them all summer because you, you know you were working. And I didn't want my family to to do that. I wanted them to have the option. Um, my oldest daughter is, is a sophomore at uh, the Ohio State University, uh, studying to be a nurse practitioner. And obviously, in the summertime, she spends times at some time out there working to, to, to earn her money for her schooling. Um, my youngest daughter was actually uh, born with a uh, heart disease, uh, a hole in her heart um, and a cleft palate, and um, so she doesn't have the or cannot do the physical um, labor that we do. But she, uh, of the two, she absolutely loves sports. I mean, she just loves being around it. So she comes out and she spends time, and when when she does, she spends time working in the kitchen. So my family isn't as involved as what my personal family isn't involved as what my dad's family was um, in the, in the camps, but they're there and, and and they enjoy it and they know a lot of the coaches and and spend time with them. So which to me is it is awesome. But they also have the time at home where they can develop friendships and relationships with the people that that they go to school with. Right. Uh the last question that I, I wrap up with guests on, Larry, is what legacy are you hoping to leave behind through through your business endeavors and your your, your personal dealings with family, friends, et cetera? Um, well, I hope, I hope that we actually can, and I, I want to see the camp continue on, whether it's with...
Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. To the Outstanding Ohioans. Outstanding Ohioans. To the Outstanding Ohioans. To the Outstanding Ohioans. Podcast. Podcast. Hosted by my daddy. Hosted by my daddy. We do that the legacy would be what my father's legacy was and that somebody will come up 30 years from today when I'm long gone and say, you know what, I went to this camp when I was in the seventh grade or I went to this camp for six years from the seventh grade to the time that I graduated. And it instilled in me a, a understanding that life is more than just basketball, that we understood what hard work is, and because of that, here's some of the things that we've done um, with our lives, not my life, but with our lives because of what we learned here. Um, you know, my other, my other business, I hope to pass along to some of the employees at some point in time and to see it continues to grow and, and, and you know, be a viable part in their lives. Um, I just, I can't go back enough to what my, my, my mother and father instilled upon us is that, Life isn't uh, really, you're really not here, and life isn't about you. Life is about what you leave. What do you do today that's going to impact somebody 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road, 20 years down the road? Um, and I hope camp stays up, and, and obviously we prefer it stay in our family. Um, but if that's not the possibility, then I would like to see it 100 years from now. <laughs> continue to be what it is today, which is some, something that not only teaches young men how to play basketball, but also teaches them life lessons so that they can go out and become successful in what they do and teach those things to their families um, so that in the end, we basically just pass along the thoughts and ideas that we grew up with um, that God, country, and, and family are, are things that still mean something. And that you should have a, a, a pride in all of those things that you do. And to simply just be the best. I mean, just, just, just be the best possible human being that you possibly can be in all aspects of your life is what I would be thrilled if, if, if that was the legacy of what we left. Great, Larry. If people want to connect with you, how could they do that? website is uh, www.eosportscomplex.com, www.eosportscomplex.com, uh, which links you into uh, all the different things that are going on at camp. Um, my personal email is my work email, which is lhuggins at 3thre-leaf.com. Um, and that's leaf like on a tree. If, if you want to email, uh, my contact information is obviously on our website. So um, if anybody wanted to get in touch with us and, and see what we do or have suggestions, we're, we're open to that um, obviously all the time because we constantly are trying to get better. So uh, if they wanted to get in touch with us, they're more than happy to go out to the website, get our contact information, and shoot us an email or a phone call or a text or wherever they feel comfortable. Uh, getting a hold of us, and we'd, we'd love to talk with anybody. Yeah. Well, Larry, thank you for your time today and in, in joining us and in, in sharing your values, your beliefs, your philosophies on, on everything that you've been involved with and everything your family's been involved with.
Well, thank you for the time. We, we, we appreciate, the appreciate the opportunity to come on the program. Okay. Well, if you could hold on the line for one moment while I sign off. Thank you for tuning in to the Outstanding Ohioans show. Our guest today was Larry Huggins, and we will have all the information that he shared with us in terms of websites, his email address, and some of the philosophies that he talked about in our show notes. Thank you for listening. Have a great day.